What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss. So excited to be getting another episode back out in Season 3 of the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Things have been crazy busy. All has been well, speaking, consulting at the city. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Scott Heller, who just took a promotion at his work, doing incredible things. We came up on the police department together, and he's like, hey, Danny, when's another episode coming out? We've got so many things scheduled, so many exciting topics, but today we're going to restart it with Tony Gamble leadership expert. He released an article a couple days ago called The Five Characteristics of High Trust Teams. I read it. I reached out to him. I said, will you do an episode? He said, absolutely, let's do it. So here it is. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals, organizations, and communities rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss. Today, we're joined by Tony Gamble. I could not be more excited to have Tony back on the show. If you're not following Tony on LinkedIn, you've got to pause this, go to LinkedIn, follow him right now. His content is absolutely amazing. How amazing is it? Two days ago, he posted an article on five characteristics of high-performing teams, something or high-trust teams, something that's so, so important to me. I read this article, was blown away, reached out. I said, Tony, do you have any time this week to jump on and record a podcast? This is how important um, his ideas and thoughts are around how you build trust, how you build high-trust teams, the impact of that. And he said, Danny, I'd love to. So Tony and I had met sometime around June of 2021. We'd probably been following each other on LinkedIn, but on June 26th, and I tell you that date, 2021, so you can go back and find it, season two, episode 25, uh, we, we spoke about a topic uh, that he'd wrote on, and that's why self-leadership is your most important leadership skill. And that conversation was so amazing. I never really thought about it in that way, but now in all my custom leadership development programs, I always have a section on that topic. That's how blown away I was by that. So a little bit about Tony. He's the, the owner, the founder of Clearview Leadership. He's a Forbes uh, leadership contributor, uh, publishing around three articles a month in Forbes, does a lot of consulting and speaking work. He's, he's amazing at taking these high-level ideas and concepts that are very complex and make them simple, but not only making them simple, uh, making them actionable. And so, so that's why we're so excited to have Tony back. Tony, thank you so much for rejoining us on the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Yeah, Danny, thank you. You almost make me excited to meet this Tony character. So uh, I appreciate I appreciate the kind words. Tony, what was, yeah, let's jump into it here. What, yeah. what was your inspiration behind writing this article, Five Characteristics of High Trust Teams? Yeah, I, I, it's twofold, and I'll, I'll touch on both of them. The first is, and, and a lot of the executive that I find, I get to a point where I see universals across different situations. And one of the things that's become really clear to me is one of the primary effective leadership is a, a culture and an environment where employees feel heard, valued, and capable of doing their best work. As a part of the, your leadership role, there may not be anything that's more important than that. And when I say that, the reason that connects to this article is because you can't do that without strong relationships and you can't have strong relationships without high levels of trust. So 
I can't disentangle performance, engagement, um, satisfaction, well-being. I can't disentangle trust from that. It's foundational. It's built in all of that. So because of that, that has been a topic that I have been engaging leaders in a whole lot. And most of the articles that I write are representations of the work that I'm doing with different executives uh, across the world. So that was one. The other is I have had an experience where I brought together a group of high-performing, passionate, um, dedicated, talented individuals, and our results weren't good collectively. Um, and the reason was is because I, as a leader, was not effective at creating shared trust in this group. There were a lot of um, there were a lot of reasons behind that. But at the end of the day, I had always been successful at pulling together people in a team. But this one time, with probably my most talented individuals, we weren't able to do that. And our results did not reflect the level of results that other teams that may have had less talent did because they trusted one another. And so trust was a secret sauce in relation to that. And so I have experienced firsthand, but I also understand from working with leaders how important this is to what you know I consider their core of creating an environment where people feel heard, valued, and capable of doing their best work. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, the the underperformance when teams don't trust each other, it can't be understated. You know, no. without trust, there can't be psychological safety, which is, you know, as Google's reported as one of the, the, the foundational elements of high performing teams. So when you when you decided on the five characteristics of high trust teams, how'd you do that? How'd you come to these five? Yeah. And when I again, when I'm working with leaders or teams. I look at it and coach them in two areas, right? I think results, and in this circumstance, we're calling results high performance and high trust, right? That's what we're calling results. That is a direct correlation or direct product of the environment that you create and the behaviors that you as a leader exhibit and your team members exhibit. So when I looked at this list about how to create high trust teams, it really looks at both aspects. What are the behaviors that people need to demonstrate? But what is the environment that people need to create to be successful? Because both of them, are, because results are dependent equally on both of them. Um, but most of the times we just focus on behaviors, right? It's people's behaviors, people's behaviors. But environment and situation and process is really critically as important or maybe more important. So I use that lens and I just started to look at what is the research I'm aware of? What, are, what does my experience tell me? And these were the things that rose up to the top. And it is not an exhaustive list, obviously. I, I love how I do the same. I do the same thing you know, experience and research. And I always have pieces of research to back the experience, but most of what I do is experience-based through, you know, I say you can't have the experience. They had the experience. And we've been through a lot of struggles and a lot of left time, tough times and a lot of imperfect situations and showing up short in situations where we wish we'd have done better. And those, are, those you know, failures are great is the greatest teacher. 
what so tony what are can you list out these five characteristics and maybe we can go through them one by one yeah i started out with one that you're really close to and a lot of your content's been relating to is team members feel valued and we talk a little bit about what does that mean and what is the key component of that which is empathy and that's the one that you've really been hitting on and creating some great content around so team members feel valued the second is that they have clear goals and roles. And I got a lot of research and data that supports that in relation to high trust teams. Uh, the third was establishing accountability. And I'll even say establishing healthy accountability. Um, the fourth is addressing the bad behaviors of star performers, um, which is an interesting one, right? Um, and I, th- and I, really, uh, I, I really think that's important. And then the, um, the fifth one is, investing in time and effort and focus on building relationships, right? And so those were the five that I put there. And I look at each of those through the lens of, okay, what do you need to do to create the right environment? And what behaviors do you need to exhibit in relation to accomplish team members feeling valued, having clear goals and roles, establishing accountability, addressing bad behaviors of star performers, and investing in uh, relationships? Well, these five light me on fire. I'm working with a team right now of incredible, incredible people. The results are amazing. The thing we're working on is culture. And I think the thing that's lacking and that's deteriorated is trust. And I think that's why these hit so hard with me when I read this article the other day, because I, as I thought about it, and I've done a lot of work on trust and a lot of different things that build trust and trust accelerators. But when you look at building trust within teams, there's just nothing I would change from those. And, and the way you dove into them was amazing. So let's dive into number one, uh, team fields valued and heard. So what are the behaviors and what are the, the environment that you create this? Yeah. So I'll start with the environmental or, uh, or the contextual pieces. And I really believe sometimes the easiest way for people to feel heard is to create it in your process, within your team meetings, within the way that you set up problem solving for your groups, the way that you set up post-mortems in relation to after projects are done. Um, I think you build it into the process because what we know is if you just let natural inertia take its course, the extroverted people are going to get all the airtime. It doesn't mean And what we also know is people that speak first, usually their opinions are the ones that are moved forward. It doesn't mean they're the best. And so how do you create process that's inclusive? And some of the ways you can create process is building in time where, oh, this is our time to problem solve. When we problem solve, we're all expected to participate appropriately, right? We give time to think before we share ideas, because that creates an even playing field between our different types of styles, right? We make sure that we create a process that before we go on to solutions, that everyone that wants to be heard has been heard. Being deliberate and creating a process that is inclusive enables people to understand this is a space and time, and I know I'm not going to have to fight over Sally or Joe over here who speaks so quickly and it takes me time to make my thoughts clear, right? We create an inclusive process. We create a clear purpose. This is a time where we are working together for to 
problem solve, to address this issue, to be creative, to innovate. And when we do those things, this is how we show up. So creating a process is really important. I think it's forgotten, right? The second, the skill, the behaviors that we need to build for people to feel valued and heard, it is expressing empathy, expressing curiosity, humble inquiry, learning to ask questions, learning to balance asking and telling, learning to listen without judgment, but for learning. Those are the behaviors that we need to create in ourselves as leaders. We need to role model as leaders. We need to demonstrate, but we need to educate um, people in relation to that. And we need to reflect about, okay, what's not going well? How do we make it better? What, you know, what, how do we move forward? So there's both of those aspects, right? Creating the environment and process where people can feel heard, but then also building the behaviors. Well, I want to break that down a little bit, and that is <laughs> phenomenal, pure, pure gold. When you think about process, you so you we need to recognize and understand there's some people on our teams, extroverts, quick thinkers, that right away off the top of their head know how they feel, can put some thoughts together, and want to speak it. And then we have other people who need a little more time to process information, who maybe aren't is willing to speak up in a group for whatever reason. Um, and it related to being an introvert, which, which there's a lot of people in that, in that regard, there's a lot of great leaders who are introverts. We got to recognize that. So is there value when you're thinking about problem solving to send something out early? So people know yeah. what the problem is so they can have more time to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if it's more real time, give five minutes for people to think about it before you jump in and let people think and sit and write down some notes, right? So both and, just want to expound a little bit on what you said earlier. I think it's more than introverted, extroverted. I mean, there are gender biases in, in the workplace that men tend to feel more free to speak up, are given permission more often to speak up. Um, there are, uh, you know, ethnicity, racial, there's so many things. Your process can help help take steps to create a more even playing field because wow. it creates a shared expectation and shared time. Um, and you're giving voice, your process is to a space to get more equal voice. Um, and then people start to, you know, become used to it. And so your process can create behavior change, develop behavior. Wow. 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 So, I love the deeper dive you took onto that because that is so, so important. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to tell you one of the things I try to do to create this inclusive environment where everybody's voice is heard. And I want you to tell me what you like about it, don't like about it, or if that's on the right track. So one of the things in meetings I adopt is leaders speak last. And what I'll do is instead of, you know, somebody might speak up initially as I pose the question, but then I'll go around the room and not in order and I'll ask people, you know, Tony, so what are your thoughts on this? You heard what Jason said. You heard what Sarah, you know, or Becky said. What are your What are your thoughts on this? And if somebody isn't ready, you can say, "If you're not ready, I'll come back to you. No big deal." But I'll bounce around the room and make sure that everybody in that meeting has an opportunity to be given a voice. They don't have to fight for that space. What do you think about that strategy? I think creating that expectation that there's space for everyone is is awesome. I think. Leader speaks last. I think that's really important. And sometimes the leader has to frame 
conversation and frame the expectations. And then I agree because mm-hmm. yeah, the best tool for leaders is to listen first and to speak last because it empowers them with all these other perspectives and ideas that it enables them and gives them the advantage of honing their language in a way that it's more impactful and actually more accurate and more powerful. And, you know, it's, it's starting with the only way you can express empathy is to create space for people to feel heard and valued. The only way you can initiate that is by leading with questions and listening and allowing yourself to be influenced. So all of that's demonstrating empathy in your process and your behaviors um, and, and being able to integrate that in a, uh, in an inclusive manner. I mean, you, you referenced it, the, uh, the psychological safety. I think it was Project Aristotle, Aristotle by Google. They said the, the two primary indicators of that are that people felt like they wouldn't be judged for sharing their behavior and people have equal voice and there was shared voice. What we're talking about, right, is creating situations and processes and behaviors that enable that. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And, and yeah, I think the important thing is we think about leaders speak last is we do have to frame the context and what we're trying to accomplish and the expectations for that. Um, but I think one of the reasons I'm such a big believer of it is if we as a leader talk about the problem and start with what we think the solution is, how many people are going to speak up and go against what we think? Everybody's done, right? Everybody's agreeing with this. What are some other ways other than maybe kind of calling on people at different spots? What are some other ways to to make sure you have that involvement and that people are heard in the meeting. Are there any other strategies you use? Yeah. I mean, traditionally leaders lead these meetings, right? But I think it's fine to have other facilitators. We share facilitation. We, we have an established process that we all know someone else's facilitator of this and the leader becomes a part of, the, of that um, the, and the term, you say leaders speak, speak last, and I love it. I, I, the term I usually use is uh, the best leaders lead with questions, right? Um, and, you know, nobody wants to be interrogated, but leading with questions and then being able to thoughtfully share your input, because it all, your, your point is it automatically has more weight. It automatically has more authority. And the biggest mistake leaders make in relation to this is, yeah, but my, my people we're just together, right? They, they share things with me, honestly. They tell me the fact. And we all like to think that, right? Because we feel like we have. But if you're a leader, they're not. And, no, and I've had CEOs and executives. Well, I came up and people just tell me the fact. No, they're not telling you the facts because I'm hearing all this over here and you don't know this, yeah. right? And the reason isn't because you're a bad person. It's because you're the CEO. You're the executive. You're never going to get that anymore. You've given up that. Yeah. Now, certain people may give you aspects of it, but you are not getting the story that everybody down the hall is getting. You're just not. Such an important realization, such an important component of emotional intelligence and awareness. Um, yeah, they, if we think we're getting everything, there's no way. And that's why having these relationships and building them as you talk about and, you know, proactive communication, asking questions, empathy, that'll give you as many pieces of the puzzle that you're going to be able to get. But if it's a hundred piece puzzle, if we think we've got all hundred pieces, regardless of where we're at, we're just fooling ourselves. Yeah. And I don't want to go too far down this road, but the other is for leaders to ask for feedback regularly, um, continuously, because if you're expecting people to just give you feedback, it's so hard to give a leader feedback. Um, so ask for feedback regularly. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. So much more on that, but we're going to dive into number two, clear <laughs> goals and roles. So yeah. let's talk about environment behaviors. Why is this so important? So I used to, oh, wow. When I started this work, and actually I don't even know if it was starting this work. When I got out of college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I liked working with people. I went and worked for Outward Bound. Um, and I worked with adjudicated kids, month-long river trips. I'm, you know, early 20s doing this. But then I evolved. It was after college. I evolved and started working with these short, uh, you know, these short programs for businesses, one-day programs, week-long programs, um, experiential learning. The reason I say that is I was introduced to a concept then that's actually stuck with me a lot. And it's research that a guy named Noel Tishy did um, with GE a long time ago. Um, but basically, he created a tool called GRPI, G-R-P-I, and it stands for Goals, Roles, Processes, and Interpersonal Relationships. And it is a team effectiveness model. It, it says for teams to be effective, you've got to have shared and meaningful goals, clear and synergistic roles, effective, efficient core processes, and good interpersonal relationships. But what was neat about his research was that he also overlap that research with what causes conflict organizations. And what he found is over 90 of within organizations, the root cause of conflict was misaligned our unclear goals, our misaligned our competing roles. Now the conflict would come out as interpersonal, right? Danny is this. Danny's hard to work with. Danny's just doesn't work hard. Danny does. But the root cause more than 90% of the time was that you and I did not have shared goals, that you and I had unclear our competing roles, our roles that weren't synergistic. And so we're talking about trust, right? Conflict is the enemy of trust, right? Now, healthy conflict is different, but just general conflict. And so when I work with leaders, the foundational aspect that I try to for effective teams is, okay, the thing that you can, it is hard to change people. Good luck. My wife's been trying for change me for 22 <laughs> years, right? It is hard to change people. But what we can change as leaders and what we usually can influence, especially for our teams, is our environment. We can make sure that we have clear and synergistic goals. We can make clear that, our, that we have goals that are team-oriented, goals that are synergistic, um, and then roles that are competing, that are dependent on one another, and that are clear. We can do that. And that is a lot easier to influence and change than dealing with all these quality issues or these bad behaviors or these traits that we're, and a majority of these traits, the research says, are, are coming out of misaligned goals and roles anyway, right? So let's fix this and then worry about that. So when I always, I always start with, clarity and aligned and synergistic goals and roles. And then next is what are the key core processes that we need to be effective within teams, making sure that we, they're clear and efficient and effective in relation to that. But uh, goals and roles are the foundation of team effectiveness. So one of the things I want to restate that Tony said, because we had a little bit of an internet issue, we're on Zoom. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Not, it might be my internet, but, um, but it came through and I think people caught it. But unclear goals and roles create 90% of team conflict. It's The team conflict is often viewed as interpersonal, but the root cause is a lack 
of shared goals, things and that center and roles and things that yeah. synergize there and being intentional about process. There was just that there was just a little bit that became a little blurred there, but I wanted to make sure that that got out um, to the, to the audience and Tony, thank you. Thank you very much yeah. for that. That's no tissues research. So if you want to look that up, I'm you'll be able to find it. Excellent. Excellent. Let's step into number, number three, unless you want to dive something else into number two. Um, all right. Number three, this is really, really important. Establish accountability. Take a dive into that. Yeah. I've written a couple of articles on accountability because it's interesting to me. Um, I think most people's first reaction to accountability is negative um, because we have been burnt by being accountable, accountable or judged unfairly for things that we felt like we didn't have control over. And so it feels controlling. It feels micromanaging. Um, and so I feel like accountability has gotten a bad rap. Um, but what my experience tells me, and I think research shows, is accountability is foundational to create trust and to create effectiveness within teams. And the example I give is how many of you all, have, how many people have worked for a team that had low levels of accountability? What were the outcomes? Oh, we missed deadlines. We had interpersonal conflict. Things didn't get done. People pointed fingers at one another, right? And so, accountability is one of the most empathic things a leader can bring to their team. And these are some of the reasons why. First is accountability creates an environment that enables to build trust. The way that you and I build trust with one another is that we say that we're going to do something, we agree on it, and we deliver on it. And then I'm like, oh, Danny does what he says he's going to do. Or I commit something. And if I can't get it done, I come to Danny and I renegotiate, right? As early as possible and say, this is when I can get it done. And I deliver them, right? I have those hard conversations. So without that accountability, we are not enabling our teams to develop trust because that is foundational. The second thing that accountability brings that is tied to trust is it creates clear expectations. If you look at Gallup, if you look at engagement, if you look at any foundational aspect for engagement, their number one on their Q12 is I have clear expectations at work. The reason they put it as number one is because it's foundational. We need to have clear expectations to be able to be successful, to move things forward. And we don't have clear expectations unless we create clear accountabilities. And the third thing that accountability brings is it enables accomplishment. It enables us to this is our goal. This is when, how, who, and what is doing this. And then we're able to be able to complete it. And we all like success. Part of our universal needs is to feel that we're competent. What we need with leaders is a belief that they can help us be successful. Accountability is a big part of that. So for me, accountability expresses empathy. If you do it in a way that when you're holding people accountable, it's not with retribution. It is with growth. It is with 
we didn't meet this goal. We didn't meet this timeline. What did we learn and what do we do moving forward to be more successful and how do we adapt and evolve? It's not retribution. Now, there is a time for performance improvement, but it is the anomaly, right? Most of our team members, when we don't meet a goal, it's because of a lot of good reasons. We don't meet a commitment. It's because of, now let's learn from that. And how do we evolve and adapt? So it is really important that we are creating healthy accountability, but without accountability, we're not being very empathic as leaders. One of the things you said, and it, it, it cut a little, most, almost everything you said, there was no blend, but clear expectations enable accountability. Is that what you said, Tony? Yeah, clear expectations enable, well, accountability creates clear expectations. I don't know how you have clear, if I don't know if I'm accountable or you're accountable, I don't have clear expectations. So accountability creates clear expectations. Excellent. And clear, expecta- clear expectations can create accountability as well. I think clear expectations is such an important thing because we often think, how could they do this or how could they do that? Oftentimes we have things in our mind that we've never shared. We've never set the right expectation. And one of the things I love on leadership teams is to have expectation statements, expectations that we all agree to, that we all have input in, and that we all hold each other ourselves and each other accountable to. This is how we're going to operate as a team. And I think that creates the environment and then sets a standard for behaviors. I love it. I love it. And as we've been talking, how do you create both the behaviors and the environment that enables that? And you hit on it. You were talking about some environmental factors that you put out there as expectations as a group. The other thing, you know, that you can do in relation to this is in our meetings, we clarify who's doing what, and we come back to that at the next meeting. That's part of our meeting, right? That's creating healthy accountability. We're not beating you up if you don't do it. We're learning from it, right? Um, You know, how do we, one of the things that I was most flawed at as a leader for the longest is I would tell, I would delegate something, and then I would sit at my desk three days later and wonder why I hadn't heard back about that. And I need the information, right? I need the, uh, the update because it informs something else I need to do. Now I put my, and so I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with the person, but then I became reflective on it. The reason that they didn't report back to me or give me an update on progress is because I wasn't clear about how do we keep each other informed? What do I need from you moving forward? Um, What types of decisions or milestones do you need to inform me about? When do I need this information? I had not made that explicit with them and my agreements with them. So tacitly, I thought that they should understand I needed this three days later. I did not make that explicit, right? So I'm in a double bind as a leader. I can go micromanage and I hurt the relationship or I can sit here without information that I need to be effective. And so I'm in a double bind because both are bad, right? It wasn't the person's fault. It was we did not share Okay, what are we? What are our next steps? How do we keep each other informed? Um, what are the milestones we need to be informed? What do I need from you so I can not micromanage you, right? And us being explicit with those agreements and following through with that. I love it. One of the things that I teach all the time for leaders is, you know, whenever there's a problem, we got to first ask, what part of the problem am I? And we've got to eliminate ourselves <laughs> from the problem. And often I find, and you've talked about this on a few different things, that 
that the problems we talk about and we're solving through these five characteristics of high trust teams are the fault of the leader, not a malicious fault, but the fault of a leader. And without the, the introspectiveness of that, you know, unclear goals and roles create 90% of team conflict. That is the, the fault and falls on the leader. And the other thing I love about what you're talking about accountability, because this is how I view accountability as well. It's not punitive or retribution. I mean, there's some things, if you steal from us, you know, if you disrespect people to a certain way, yeah. things like that, there, you know, we can't have those things, but, but this is accountability through growth, through learning, through conversations, through asking questions to figure out why we came up short and to help create and coach those competencies to make sure in the future that we don't come up short. Yeah. Love that. You cannot be agile and growing as a team without that type of environment and trust. If everybody feels that there's going to be retribution, everyone is in self-protection mode. And it is just never going to be successful. I, actually, it gets to Carol Dweck's road. We create an environment of a fixed mindset that I need to be good enough and I need to put on an air versus a growth mindset that we're evolving and growing and we learn as we move forward. Um, and so really the leader sets the tone for that. 100%. We might do a podcast on that. That, that uh, is something I love. I love, I love, I love. Uh, number four, address bad behaviors of high performers. Wow. This is a big one, Tony. <laughs> yeah. The research says that uh, team members and leaders tend to forgive bad behaviors based on high performance um, and ignore bad behaviors. And we've all seen it before, right? You know, this person's a rainmaker. This person is, uh, is, is great. This person has this important relationship with this important customer relationship. But all of the underlying aspects of the harm of letting star performers have bad behaviors is overwhelming around burnout, um, unhealthy, uh, bad well-being, impact on performance, missed days at work, um, engagement scores going down. And so the reason I really highlighted high performers is because those are the people that we tend to turn a blind eye to because we don't see all of those costs or all those impacts that are under the iceberg, right, or under the water level. And so we need to be aware that when we do that, we are telling people that our values don't matter, that results are more important than people, that results are more important than relationships. And once we've done that, trust is gone. There is, and, and so what we're saying is, if trust is important component of people feeling heard, valued, and capable of doing their best work, there is no one star performer that is worth creating that type of environment. And so it just becomes clear. I mean, there's, there's reasons why people don't do it. It's because they're good at so many other things and we're worried about losing that or hurting our relationship. But we've got to be aware of the residual damage that it's doing to the whole and also how it's hurting our credibility as a leader. Absolutely. I'm a very firm believer. I don't care what kind of star is on the team. These bad behaviors, these negative impacts, the culture, rudeness, disrespect, um, if, if the person's going to live in align with that after we have proactive conversations, caring conversations, then they got to go. And that's, that's just right. that they're, 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 they're a toxic cancer that grows within the organization. And there's, there's nobody worth keeping for, for that. 
Um, I guarantee that if that's how Michael Jordan would have been or Kobe Bryant would have been within their teams, they wouldn't have had championship teams. They might have still been a star. Yeah. But, you know, in, in that moment where Kobe, you know, passes the ball to, I don't think it was Paxson, maybe it was Paxson, um, and he drills that shot, Steve Kerr's who it was. Um, you know, that, that doesn't happen if you don't have that high trust and the right culture. You know, culture strategy for breakfast. Um, still, it's going to ring true, I think, forever. So a couple of statistics that you shared in the article that I love and you touched on them. 80 per, so when, when we tolerate bad behaviors of high performers, it results in an 80% lost work time due to rudeness, the impact on the other person, the way they feel. 78% uh, decrease in commitment, 66% decrease in performance, 63% lost work avoiding the offender, the person who is acting in this negative and toxic way cannot be understated how we cannot accept this, uh, these bad behaviors from high performers. Yeah. And I just want to reference the, uh, that those statistics are from a gentleman named Paul Zach, who wrote a HBR article on the neuroscience of trust. Great article. And that's where I pulled those statistics from. And actually he's been you know, supportive of, uh, he reached out about the article. He was great, but a really nice guy. But um, that's where that research was pulled from. And it is what it starts to show is the underbelly, right? Uh, the stuff below the waterline about how negative of an impact that has on, on everyone within the team. 100%. Let's dive into number five, invest in relationship building. Yeah. You know, this has become even more important in a hybrid world, right? Uh, because we work in work situations that we are more virtual than ever before. And we already were because people aren't in the same locations and the multidisciplinary style of work where you have to have multiple disciplines to solve complex problems. But then we had this pandemic, right? And then everything became, you know, over Zoom. And how do you build relationships? How do you build camaraderie? And there's a balance there, right? Uh, because people's time is valuable. And so the question starts to become, what we know is when things get hard and people are working hard, our natural reaction is to put blinders on and put our heads down. But what we also know is the most successful teams and people in life, the core, the most predictable predictor of a strong team and having a good life is the strength of your social network. During the hard times is when we most need those people, right? Yes, sir. And so, but, but our natural tendency is to head down. And so, you know, there's some real easy things, especially in a virtual world that we need to be more deliberate with. Um, I've been engaging with groups in different ways where people up front are taking five to 10 minutes to, you know, there's these book of questions, right, that people answer that are just sort of goofy and funny sometimes, right? Or, you know, there's, there's taking time up front to saying, you know, what are we grateful for about each other for? Um, and so some of the things that I put there is like, once you've accomplished something, celebrate wins, acknowledge it. Too often we're right on to the next mountain, right? We act like it wasn't even a big deal, even though a week ago it was the biggest deal, yeah. right? Take time to celebrate in a meaningful way, not, but then um, take time and be deliberate about what are we grateful for in our, in our teams, about each other, about the work that we're getting to do. Because so often, so many hardships are coming at us, right? And it's so, 
But we know gratitude is a great elixir for having a great mindset and being positive and optimistic about and well-being. We know those things. Um, you know, time for fun. You know, up front, do something goofy. Man, don't take more than 10 minutes because it'll annoy people. But do something goofy and fun that doesn't expose people. And then we've got to continually assess. Do people feel apart? And do people feel valued in relation to a part of this team and valued in this team? Because that's foundational to what we need to be able to be an effective part of a team. When I hear you talk about this, it's so important to be even more intentional about this in virtual settings. But it's, it's equally as important to be intentional about this in in-person settings. Am I right about that? Absolutely. I just think people are more intimidated about how to do it in virtual sessions, probably because this is newer for us. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the disconnect that happened from COVID and the impacts and the emotional scars um, and feelings that happened from not knowing maybe what's going on and being disconnected, even, even though we've come back to work and in a lot of environments are working in person, those things are still there. And so being really intentional about these five characteristics of high trust teams and executing on them from an environmental and behavioral standpoint is so important. I mean, trust is something we earn, reinforce, or lose every day through our actions, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I engage almost every leader I work with, and it's a, it's a common uh, concept, is your success as a leader is a combination of how effective you and your team complete tasks and how effective you are at building strong relationships. That equals results. The challenge is the higher you scale up with leadership, the more important these strong relationships become and the less important you completing tasks becomes, right? And you start to become the keeper of this environment and this culture. Not that you do the sole creator, but you are creating an environment and holding accountable to behaviors for yourself and others that we are creating this healthy culture and environment and processes within an organization to be able to create this trust and create this high performance. The challenge that leaders that are scaling have is the only reason most leaders are in a leadership position is because they were great at completing tasks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the game changes, right? Oh, others are supposed to complete these tasks. I create the environment. But if people don't really make a deliberate shift and engage in de developing those other knowledge and skills, you will never be as effective as you should be or can be as a leader. But it's unfair because it makes us forget everything that made us be successful before, which was being the primary subject matter expert, the person that gets stuff done. You used another Simon Sinek quote at the beginning of your article. Um, but the, the quote from Simon that resonates with me when you talk about this is it's not the leader's role to do the job. It's the leader's role to take care of the people doing the job. So great. Yeah. One, of, one of the things, and as the police chief in my critical incident response book, so active shooter, you know, negotiation, negotiation, just different critical incidents. I open the book and it says, you're the coach, not the player. Cause I had to remember that because I wanted to be the player. Those things are what got me promoted to the ranks. That's right. And it's a different skill set. And it's not a natural skill set because I think leadership in a lot of regards is abnormal human behavior. The standard leaders are held to and judged from um, isn't really a fair standard, but life isn't about fair. It's the responsibility we choose to lean into. Another quote you shared from Simon at the beginning of this 
um, article that you wrote that I thought was amazing is that a team is not a group of people who work together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. Such a such an important thing. We believe trust is a currency of leadership, and I'm glad you touched on and talked about empathy because we believe empathy is the heartbeat of leadership. These aren't you know soft skills or weak skills. These are smart skills. These are essential skills to lead in the 21st century. You know what got us here? Power, control, fear, manipulation won't get us there. We've seen that as a result of the Great Resignation, the Great Rethink, all the different titles and topics to this, but people have thought more. Something I wanted to share uh, that was in your article, and you can talk about the source of it, but high trust teams create 74% less stress, 106% more energy. That's a huge deal. 50% higher productivity, 70% more engagement, 29% more satisfaction in their lives away from work, and 40% less burnout. Those are staggering, staggering statistics, Tony. Yeah, it's huge. And trust and empathy and relationships too often are seen as not work. They're seen as um, the soft stuff, the, the, the amorphous stuff, the hazy stuff. Once you become a leader, that becomes the work. And so when you become that leader, what is the tangible things that you can do? What are the behaviors? And you just said it. Well, how do I change behaviors? How do I evolve and adapt behaviors that enable? And it goes back to the very beginning that enables me as a leader to create an environment where people feel heard, valued, and capable of doing their best work. That is my job as a leader. Now, I may have some individual contribution, individual contribution, right? And that's fine. But my role as a leader, that is my most important role. Absolutely. Two things I want to add before we wrap it up here. We believe there's seven things every person needs. They need to feel seen, heard, valued, supported, accepted, cared about, and appreciated. Those are the seven things that we've come to over the last few years. The second thing that anybody who's still sitting here thinking empathy, trust, rapport. Um, I went to FBI hostage negotiation school years ago when I went to another crisis negotiation school, ran our negotiations team and the behavioral change stairway model that is used to take somebody from either threatening themselves or others, hostage situation, violent incident, and through negotiations and moving them to a successful resolution where nobody gets hurt and where they surrender peacefully and come out. The stairway is empathy, rapport, influence. Empathy builds the rapport, builds the influence, creates the behavior change. So anybody who thinks that empathy, rapport, trust is is weak, uh, go talk to the FBI because that is what hostage crisis negotiations is founded on. Tony Gamble, now everybody can see why I was so excited and reached out to him immediately about his thoughts and ideas. I mean, he, he is a pure genius when it comes to leadership, relationships. He has taken some really complex topics and broken them down, broken them down so simple. And that's what experts can do. Anybody can make something complex, but you take these complex topics and thoughts and ideas and you break it down into two categories, environment behaviors. And then you break it down into what does that environment look like? How do you create that environment? What process do you put in place? What behaviors does that look like? Pure, pure gold. This conversation has made uh, me 
better now at my job for my, my own place as a city manager of Dixon, but in the consulting work that I'm doing day in and day out, I can't wait to share this with this amazing group of people that I'm working with. Again, as a recap, the five characteristics of high trust teams, one, the people, uh, the team feels valued and heard Two, there are clear goals and roles. Three, establish accountability Four, address bad behaviors of high performers. So, so important. Five, invest in relationship building, pure, pure gold. Tony, where can people find you at? Yeah, a couple of places, LinkedIn. Uh, I have a newsletter on LinkedIn. I'm also a Forbes contributor. So you can put my name in in Forbes and you can go to my Forbes page and see the uh, the leadership articles that I put up, put up there. Uh, my organization is Clearview Leadership. So clearviewleadership.org uh, is uh, my website. So you can reach out to me through any of those. Uh, and I'd love to continue the conversation. Oh, I, I can't wait. I've got a lot of different ideas. Again, Tony joined, joined us before season two, episode 25, June 26, 2021. That was released. Why self-leadership is our most important leadership skill. You want to learn more from Tony, go check that out. Go to his website, connect with them on LinkedIn. Between the slide decks, they actually talks about questions. He's got slide deck after slide deck of different questions that we can ask for different situations. Pure, pure, pure gold. Tony, thank you so much for coming back and joining us on the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Danny, I always love partnering with you. And thank you for making this fun and easy on my side. And I appreciate your time. It's always fun. Can't wait to do it again. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. Such an important topic. Again, trust is the currency of leadership. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you never miss another one. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Uh, help us grow organically. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Uh, more episodes are going to be coming. I know we had a little bit of a break there. There's just a ton going on, which means great things are happening. But we've got many more episodes that will be coming your way. Enjoy your day. And remember, always be committed to excellence.